welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness podcast series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness webcast series held on March 28, 2018, focusing on tax reform's impact and planning considerations for high net worth individuals. The panelists for the webcast were Brittany Sachs, a PwC tax partner and leader of our personal financial services practice, as well as PwC tax partners Mark Nash, Mike James, and Frank Graziano, all with our personal services practice. This podcast excerpt consists of a discussion among the panelists focusing on the tax reform implications for trusts and family offices. Take a listen. Mike, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about trusts sure. and some of the tax implications, that would be great. Thanks, Brittany. So under, under tax reform, trusts have impacted both from an income tax perspective as well as from a wealth transfer planning perspective. Um, so first, just to focus on the income tax side, you'll see on this slide that the, the highest effective marginal rate is 37%, and that's uh, similar to the individual highest rate. One difference to point out, though, is that for a married couple uh, to reach that highest rate, they're going to have income of $600,000. But for a trust to reach that highest rate, the income only has to be $12,500. So it's, uh, even though there's four brackets, you don't really see the benefit of them that much. Um, Frank went into 199A. I mean, the one thing I'd point out here is that if there's an underlying business that qualifies for the 199A deduction, and there's a trust that happens to be a shareholder or a partner of that business, then that deduction would pass out to the trust. Um, there was a, the Senate version of the bill before this was passed actually did not apply this deduction to trust, but uh, in the final bill it was included. Um, moving on to the uh, electing small business trusts, uh, it's interesting. Uh, you don't hear a lot about electing small business trusts, but they were kind of a hot item with tax reform. Um, but basically, S-corporations are only allowed to have certain eligible shareholders um, and trusts. Um, ESBITs is one, sort, one type of trust that does qualify. And, and we like electing small business trusts when we're doing planning, especially if, um, if a grantor wants to turn off grantor status, because one of the benefits of these trusts is you don't have to distribute anything out of them. So it accomplishes a lot of estate planning benefit. Um, but with respect to the ESBITs, one new rule is that non-resident aliens are now allowed to be permitted beneficiaries of an ESBIT. And the other rule is when ESBITs are taxed, there's an S portion that holds the S stock, and then there's a non-S portion that holds everything else. Um, normally, the ESBITs have been, um, for charitable contribution purposes, they follow the trust rules. But interestingly enough, with the S portion, they change the rules so now it follows um, what individuals follow, and it has all the same rules and AGI limitations as individuals. So that was kind of a, a neat change that we weren't expecting. It was, and <laughs> meant to be beneficial. I mean, it's a, because it gives you, um, you know, the flexibility to have property contributions not out of income, and also because it gives you that five-year carryover for excess charitable contributions, which trusts normally did not get. Yep. So uh, Congress was uh, meaning this to be a helpful thing. Absolutely. So just a couple other items is the, um, the exemptions. This is the same as a personal exemption for individuals. It's, they kind of consider it the deduction in lieu of the personal exemption. That didn't change. It's $300 and $100 for different types of trusts. Um, the state and local tax that Brittany highlighted, um, the 10000 limit, that applies to trusts. Um, when a trust terminates, all the excess distributions, they flow out and are considered miscellaneous itemized deductions, so they get lost. 
Um, so that, that's something important to highlight, that, that they could be lost. Um, with respect to uh, capital loss carry forwards and NOLs, you'd still be able to carry them out to the beneficiaries. Um, if you remember, um, individuals, the AMT exemption amount went up, but there was no increase for trusts or estates. And here's an interesting one, the kitty tax. So if you have children with unearned income that are under 18, and in some cases under 23, um, basically they used to be taxed at the parents' highest marginal rate, and now they're linking their taxes to the, the trust's tax rate, which as I just said, at 12,500 in income, you're at the highest rate. So that's obviously a, yeah, a little bit of a tax generation. unfortunate surprise. <laughs> yeah. I think one thing to highlight here is, which this has gotten a lot of talk about, is, uh, is how the, the elimination of miscellaneous itemized deductions impact the trust. Um, because the way the, as always, the way the statute was drafted, it caused some confusion. Um, but basically, this new provision, 67G, came in and said that they're eliminating all miscellaneous itemized deductions. But when they stated that, they only referenced Section 67A. And in that section, that basically said miscellaneous itemized deductions are all itemized deductions except a few that were specifically excluded. Uh, the, the ones that we always see would be interest taxes and charitable contributions. So the question comes up, what about those deductions that we used to take, which would not have been incurred if the property were not held in such trust or estate? So for example, trustee fees, executor fees, uh, trust income tax return preparation fees, which is near and dear to our heart. Um, what happens to those fees? Are they, are they considered um, eliminated because of 67G or are they retained? It's, it's not entirely clear. Um, I think we're pretty comfortable they should still be deductible because if 67G um, superseded 67A, which is where all these deductions are found, it would produce illogical results because within 67E is also that distribution deduction that trusts get if they distribute income out to beneficiaries. And if, if that doesn't apply anymore, you know, it just would not make sense at all. Um, so the other thing is, if you look at the, uh, the joint explanatory statement on the legislation, it actually references any miscellaneous itemized deductions subject to 2%. And these, these fees under 67E are not subject to 2%. And I think one of the other things, Mike, that we've talked about is that the, the, the code section in 67E actually says uh, that those expenses that are uh, unique to a trust are only incurred because the property was held in a trust. It doesn't define them as miscellaneous itemized deductions. It says that they shall be deductible in arriving at adjusted gross income. So they're really above the line sort of deductions. So that could also be an argument for why those sort of expenses should still be deductible and retained. Absolutely. And, and you remember years ago, we always had the battle about unbundling fees. Yes. What's subject to 2%, what's not. Still going to be important. Even more important because yeah. now it, you might not get a deduction or you might. It's not just a 2% issue. Right. So now we wanted to move to the, uh, the wealth transfer side of this. Um, basically, the, although there was a lot of talk about potential repeal, the estate gift and GST tax were all retained. There was no repeal. And the step up in basis at death still applies. Uh, there was no capital gains tax at death that Trump was originally proposing. So everything is pretty, pretty much the same except the one benefit is that the exemption amount for all three taxes, the exemption amount almost doubled from 5.6 million to 11 million 180 thousand. 
So that equates to 22,380,000 per couple. So that, that's, that's a big step up on the exemption amount. Yeah, and I, I would say, Mike, I mean, honestly, this is probably the one aspect of the of kind of the new tax law with regard to estate and gift planning that I'm seeing the focus on. Um, you know, how should we use this additional exemption? You know, sure. what's the most efficient way? Um, and that's actually gives rise to a lot of other discussion of a lot of the vehicles and other planning that we that's been around for a long time. But to try and make to try and take advantage of it, right? Or are we thinking that it might go away? I mean, I guess there's a lot of um, uncertainty about that part. Yeah. So, so there's planning with it, but maybe first is the unintended consequences of the increase. Um, you know, we're encouraging clients to revisit their their wills and revocable trusts because kind of a standard document would would say something like. I want to fund a trust for my children with whatever the exemption amount is, and then the balance of my assets should pass to my surviving spouse. And maybe back when the exemption was $5.6 million and they modeled that, it, it maybe it looked and it worked, and it was consistent with what they were intending. But now with the exemption at $11,180,000, that trust is now going to be funded with $11,180,000, so and then the gotta, balance would go to the spouse. you got to trust your kids, huh, Mike? Yeah, you got to trust your kids. Or... The other thing is, do you make your wife a discretion or husband a discretionary beneficiary of that trust now? Because there's a lot more assets in there. So I think it's really important to just see how does the increase in exemption affect the formulas that people have in their documents. Um, the other thing we're working with our clients on is just how can we use this exemption during lifetime? Yeah. And, you know, the, all, first of all, all the planning that we used to do pre-reform, it still applies. The only benefit is now, now we have some more tools to play with. We have more exemption. So all those tools still work. So clients are saying, what's the most efficient way to use my exemption? And we've had a lot of meetings and a lot of discussion. Um, interestingly, clients haven't pulled the trigger yet, but they know this is kind of like a use it or lose it because the additional exemption is scheduled to sunset after 2025 if Congress doesn't act. So this is something that should be looked at. Um, the other thing is um, when clients want to just do another gift to a trust, I think we're looking at that trust a little closer because mm -hmm. as you guys know, a trust drafted last week looks a lot better than a trust drafted 10 years ago because mm -hmm. there's been a lot of development in the law. So that's one thing we're looking at. The other issue that comes up is clawback. Um, and that's the risk that if you made a gift today with a gift exemption so high and then down the road you pass away when the estate exemption is back to the original amount, is there a way the government could claw back that gift and, and subject it to estate tax? Um, this was the same issue that came about, I guess, in 2012 when we thought the exemption was going to go down in January of 13. Um, and I think most people below believe that this is pretty low risk. Um, they did, in, they did uh, produce a reg that gave the Treasury the ability to act on this and give guidance, but we know that that usually takes a very long time. So yeah. well, stay tuned. Sounds like there's still a lot to, to think about and certainly to take advantage of with regard to that, to the new increased lifetime exemption. Absolutely. All right, so thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate that. Let's let's turn, Mark, if you would, to family offices and give a, a little bit of a view okay. on ta how tax law impacts sure. them. Sure. Well, just a few words on family offices. We've already talked uh, about the suspension of the miscellaneous itemized deductions. Most family offices are organized as uh, limited liability companies, LLCs, and those deductions that the family office incurs, which are salaries, investment management fees, the professional fees of uh, managing the personal and investment affairs of the family, those are all classified as Section 212 expenses. And through that LLC, they generally pass up 
uh, to the owner of the LLC, generally the first generation of the family, and they would have been treated as miscellaneous itemized deductions. And of course, with the repeal of those deductions or the suspension of those deductions, these expenses are no longer going to be deductible. And so the, the, the costs of running the family office uh, no longer produce a tax benefit. And some of our families are, are looking around and saying, hey, I would really like to have a better tax answer. And is there a way that we can revisit our structure and be structured differently that would produce more of a tax benefit for the expenses that are being incurred in the family office context? And in, um, uh, it's not really a matter of tax reform, but there was an important case that came out uh, in December, right around the same time that the tax law was signed, called the Lender Management Case. Uh, and it is a unique case, one of the first that we've seen in the family office space, where the family had set up an LLC to, uh, to house their family office, and uh, they, were, they took the position uh, on their tax return that the family office was in the business, the trade or business, of providing investment uh, advisory advice. So the expenses that they incurred were not investment-related expenses. They were not 212 expenses. They were trade or business expenses. And of course, those expenses survive and are still deductible. Well, uh, in addition to that, the way the lender family had arranged their family office is that family office was compensated uh, based on the investment activity of underlying partnership investments. So they had set up a partnership for their equities, a partnership for their fixed income, a partnership for their real estate, and the family office took a, a management fee and then a carried interest or a profits interest uh, for part of the income that was generated in those underlying partnerships. Well, those, those amounts were, that was very tax efficient at that underlying investment partnership level because so much of the expenses came off as a carried interest. That was tax efficient. And then when they came up to the family office entity itself, uh, that income was uh, meshed together with the expenses of running the family office. And because they took the position they were in a trader business of providing investment advice, they offset one another and resulted in very little income or loss. So that was a very tax efficient way to run the family office. And many of our clients now we're talking with about the, the implications of this case uh, in connection with tax reform and the facts that the facts are, are the expenses are no longer deductible. And families are wondering uh, if they can reorganize their family offices to be more similar to what we saw in the lender case, and if perhaps, perhaps this fact pattern can apply to them. Yeah, no, Mark, I would tell you that um, this case was pretty monumental. I mean, it, it was. was it was it was you know quite pro taxpayer, and so it is important though to really understand the specifics of that case because it's not not every family office is set up the same. That's a huge understatement. Absolutely. So you know, but it but there are a lot of benefits to it, and so um, it is something to take a look at. And that we are seeing from a lot of our family office clients, similar to all of our flow throughs. You know, everybody's looking at. You know, how can I be structured in a, in a different way that, that really aligns more with, with tax reform? Right. So thank you for talking about a little bit on the on, um, family office. A huge thank you to all my panelists um, for all that information. Very much appreciated. And thank you very much for today. Have a good day. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like further information about this topic, please email the participants whose email addresses can be found in the description of this episode.